0: Chapter 4 of My Danish Sweetheart, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Violet Blue of Albertville. My Danish Sweetheart, Volume 1 by William Clark Russell. Chapter 4 Helga Nielsen. For full twenty minutes the lad and I clung to the helm without exchanging a word. The speed of the driven vessel rendered her motion comparatively easy, after the intolerable lurching and rolling and plunging of her as she lay at anchor or in the trough. She was swept onwards with such velocity that I had little or no fear of her taking in the seas over her stern, and she steered well, with but little wildness in the swerving of her bows as was to be seen by the comparative regularity of the oscillation of the compass card. This running before the tempest, of course, diminished the volume and power of it, so far, I mean, as our own sensations were concerned, but but the sight of the sea, as much of it, at least as was visible, coupled with the thunder of the wind up aloft in the sky, and the prodigious crying and shrieking and shrilling of it in the rigging, was warrant enough that were we to heave the bark too, we should find the hurricane harder now than it had been at any other time since it first came on to blow. Yet our racing before it, as I have said, seemed to somewhat lull it, and we could converse without having to cry out, though for twenty minutes we stood mute as statues, waiting and watching. At last my companion said to me, Have we passed that point which you spoke of, do you think? Oh, yes, I answered. It would not be above two miles distant from the point where we broke adrift. Our speed cannot have been less than eight or nine knots. I should say Hurricane Point is a full mile away down on the quarter there. I fear that we shall find the sea, said he, grow terribly heavy as we advance. Yes, said I, but what is to be done? There is nothing for it but to advance. Suppose such another shift of the wind as has just happened. What then? We should have a line of deadly shore right under our lee. No, we must hold on as we are there are but two of us cried he my father cannot count what are we to do we cannot work this big ship the weather may break i said it is surely too fierce to last what can we hope for but to be rescued or assisted by some passing vessel is this ship stanch Yes, she is a strong ship, he replied. She is about six years old. My father is her owner. I wish I could go to him, he added. He will be dying to learn what has happened and what is being done, and it is past the time for his medicine, and he will be wanting his supper. I tried to catch view of him as he spoke these words, but the haze of the binnacle lamp did not reach to his face, and it was as black as the face of the sky itself out of that sheen. What he had said had a girlish note in it, and I could not reconcile with his dress, with his seafaring alertness, with his spirited behavior, his nimble crawling out upon the bowsprit, and his perception of what was to be done, under conditions which might well have clouded the wits of the oldest and most audacious sailor. "'Pray go and see your father,' said I. "'I believe I can keep this helm amidships without help. "'And, indeed, if I could not have steered the bark alone, "'I do not know that such assistance as he could offer "'would have suffered me to control her. "'He seemed but a slender lad, so far, at least, "'as I had been able to judge from the view I got "'when the flare was burning, very quick, "'but without such strength as I should have looked for "'in a young seaman, as I could tell "'whenever the wheel had to be put up or down.' he let go of the spokes and stood apart for a minute or two as though to judge whether i could manage without him then said he i will return quickly and with that he took a step and vanished in the blackness forward of the binnacle stand my mind dwelt for a moment upon him upon the clearness and purity of his voice upon a something in his speech which i could not define and which puzzled me upon his words which were as good english as one could hope to hear at home albeit there was a certain sharpness and incisiveness perhaps i might say a little of the harshness in his accentuation that might suggest him a foreigner to an english ear though as i then supposed it was more likely than not this quality arose from the excitement and dismay and distress which worked in him as in me but he speedily ceased to engage my thoughts what could i dwell upon but the situation in which i found myself The spectacle of the black outline of bark painting herself upon the volumes of white water she hove up around her as she rushed forward, pitching bows under, her rigging echoing with unearthly cries as if the dark waving mass of spar and gear aloft were crowded with tormented souls wailing and howling and shrieking dismally. I recalled my mother's dream. I believed I was acting in some dreadful nightmare of my own slumbers. All had happened so suddenly, so much of emotion, of wild excitement, of agitation and may I say horror, had been packed into the slender space of time between the capsizal of the lifeboat and this rushing out of the bay. Now I had a little leisure to bend my mind to contemplation of the reality. I could not believe in it as an actual thing. I was dazed. My hearing was stunned by the ceaseless roar of wind and seas. The janet stove and sunk. All my lion-hearted men drowned, perhaps. The poor Danes for whom they had forfeited their lives long ago, corpses. Would not this break my mother's heart? Would there be a survivor to tell her that when I was last seen I was aboard the bark? Once again, I figured the little parlor I had quitted but a few hours ago. I pictured my mother sitting by the fire, waiting and listening. The long night, the bitter anguish of suspense, It was lucky for me that the obligation of having to watch and steer the vessel served as a constant intrusion upon my mind at this time, for I could have been able to sit down and surrender myself wholly to my mood. God best knows how it must have gone with me. The lad was about ten minutes absent. I found him alongside the wheel without having witnessed his approach. He came out of the darkness as a spirit might shape itself, and I did not know that he was near me until he spoke. My father says that our safety lies in heading into the open sea, to obtain what you call a wide offing, said he. What does he advise? I asked. We must continue to run, he says, answered the lad, meaning by run, that we should keep the bark before the wind, answered the lad. When the coast is far astern, we must endeavor to heave to, so he counsels. I told him we are but two, he answered, it may be done i wish he were able to leave his cabin and take charge said i what is his complaint he was seized shortly after leaving coxavin with rheumatism in the knees he answered he cannot stand cannot indeed stir either leg why did he not get himself conveyed ashore for treatment he hoped to get better we were to call at swansea before proceeding to porto alegre and if he had found himself still ill when he arrived there it was his intention to procure another captain for the anine and remain at swansea with me until he was able to return home who had charge of the bark when she brought up in the bay i inquired finding a sort of relief in asking these questions and indeed in having somebody to converse with for even my ten minutes of loneliness at the helm of that pitching and foaming vessel had depressed me to the very core of my soul the carpenter who acted as second mate yes i recollect some of our boatmen brought the news your chief mate broke his leg and was sent ashore but did your father consent to the anine dropping anchor in so perilous a bay as ours perilous i mean considering the weather at the time He was at the mercy of the man Dom, the carpenter, I mean, he answered. The crew had refused to keep the sea. They said a tempest was coming, and that shelter must be sought before the wind came, and the carpenter steered the bark for the first haven he fell in with, which happened to be your bay. Our crew were not good men. They were grumbling much, as your English word is, from the hour of our leaving, Cuxaven. But surely, said I, the poor fellows who sprang out of the fore-rigging could not have formed the whole of the crew of a ship of this burthen. "'No,' he answered. "'The carpenter and five men got away in one of the boats "'when they found that the bark was dragging her anchors. "'They lowered one boat, which filled and was knocked to pieces, "'and the wreck of it, I dare say, is still swinging at the tackles. "'They lowered the other boat and went away in her. "'Did they reach the shore?' "'I do not know,' said he. "'They must have been a bad lot,' said I. "'Those who escaped in the boat and those who hung in the shrouds "'to leave your helpless father to his fate?' oh a bad lot a wicked lot he cried they were not danes he added danish sailors would not have acted as those men did are you a dane i asked my father is he answered i am as much english as danish my mother was an englishwoman "'I should have believed you wholly English,' said I. "'Are you a sailor?' he answered. "'No.' "'I was about to speak when he exclaimed. "'I am a girl!' "'Secretly for some time I had supposed this, "'and yet I was hardly less astonished "'than I had been without previous suspicion. "'A girl!' I cried, "'sending my sight groping over her figure, "'but to no purpose. "'She was absolutely indistinguishable saving her arms, "'which were dimly touched by the haze of the binnacle light "'as they lay upon the spokes of the wheel.' "'It is my whim to dress as a boy on board ship,' she exclaimed with no stammer of embarrassment that I could catch in her, or her clear delivery that penetrated to my ear without loss of a syllable through the heavy storming of the gale, flashing with the fury of a whirlwind off the brows of the sea which rushed at us, as the bark's counter soared into the whole weight and eye of the tempest. So far had we conversed, but at this moment a great surge took the bark and swung her up in so long, so dizzying and sickening, an upheaval followed by so wild a fall into the frothing hollow at its base that speech was silenced in me and i could think of nothing else but the mountainous billows now running indeed as my companion had predicted the farther we drew out from the land the heavier we found the sea the play of the ocean indeed out here was rendered fierce beyond words by the dual character of the tempest for the seas which had been set racing out of the west had not yet been conquered by the violence of the new gale and by the hurl of the liquid hills out of the east and the bark was now laboring in the same sort of pyramidal sea as had run in the bay saving that here the whole power of the great atlantic was in each billow and the fighting between the contending waters was as a combat of my giants the decks were full of water at frequent intervals the brow of the sea rushing past us as was our own speed upon its careering back would arch over the rail and stumble aboard in a heavy fall of water and the smoke of it would rise from the planks as though the bark were on fire and make the blackness forward of the mainmast hoary i sought in vain for the least break in the dark ceiling of the sky will the vessel be able to keep afloat i was now all the time asking myself is it possible for any structure put together by human hands to outlive such a night of fury as this as i have said i was no sailor yet my longshore training gave me very readily to know that the best if not the only chance for our lives was to get the bark hove to and leave her to breast the seas and live the weather out as she could with her helm lashed and perhaps some bit of tarpaulin in the weather rigging to keep her head up but this, that was to be easily wished, was inexpressibly perilous to attempt or achieve, for in bringing the vessel to, it was as likely as not we should founder out of hand. A single sea might be enough to do our business, and, failing that, there was the almost certain prospect of the decks being swept, of every erection from the taffrail to the bows being carried away, ourselves included, of a score of leaks being started by a single blow, and even if the girl and I managed to to hold on, of the bark foundering under our feet. Thus we rushed onward, very literally indeed scudding under bare poles, as it is called, and for a long while we had neither of us a word to exchange. So present was calamity, so near was death, so dreadful were the thunderous sounds of the night, so engrossing our business of keeping the flying fabric dead before the seas. I pulled out my watch and held it hastily to the binnacle lamp, and found the hour exactly one. The girl asked me the time, this was the first word that had passed between us for a long long while, I replied, and she said in a voice that indicated extraordinary spirit, but that nevertheless sounded languishingly after her earlier utterance. Now that it is past midnight, the gale may break. Surely such fierce weather cannot last for many hours. I wish you would go, said I, and get some refreshment for yourself and lie down for a while. I believe I can manage single-handed to keep the vessel before it. "'If I lie down, it would not be to sleep,' she answered. "'But if you think I can be spared from the wheel for a few minutes, "'I will obtain some refreshment for us both, "'and I should also like to see how my father does.' "'I answered that if the helm was to prove too heavy for me, "'her help might hardly save me from being obliged to let go. "'Do not believe this!' she exclaimed. "'Because you know now that I am a girl!' i have had no heart to express wonderment as yet said i otherwise my astonishment and admiration would reassure you if you suppose i doubt your strength and capacity now that i know you to be a girl a little refreshment will help us both and I was going to advise her to seize the opportunity to attire herself in dry clothes for I was in oilskins whereas so far as I was able to gather her dress was a pea jacket and a cloth cap and I knew that again and again she had been soaked to the skin and that the wind pouring on her would be chilling her to her very heart but even amid such a time as this I was sensible of a diffidence in naming what was in my mind and held my peace she left the wheel and I stood Stood steering the bark single-handed with my eyes fixed upon the illuminated compass card while i noticed that the course the vessel was taking which always held her dead before the gale was now above a point nay perhaps two points to the southward of west whence it was clear the hurricane was veering northwardly whether it was because this small shift in the wind still found the colliding seas traveling east and west, or that some heavy surge sweeping its volume along the starboard bow caused the bark to yaw widely, as it is termed, and so brought a great weight of billow against the rudder. Be the cause what it will. While my eye was rooted upon the card, the stern of the vessel was on a sudden run-up, with the velocity of a balloon from whose car all the ballast has been thrown. The spokes were wrenched from my hand as they revolved like the driving wheel of a locomotive in full career and i was sent spinning against the bulwark from which i dropped upon my knees and so rolled over stunned for all i could tell i might have lain five minutes or five hours without my senses i believe i was brought to by the washing over me of the water that lay in the lee part of the deck into which i had been shot i sat erect but for a long while was unable to collect my mind so bewildered were my brains by the fall and so confounded besides by the uproar round about i then made out the figure as i took it of the girl standing at the wheel and got on my legs and after feeling over myself so to speak to make sure that all my bones were sound i staggered or rather crawled my way up to the wheel for the bark now seemed to me to be upon her beam ends and rolling with the dreadful wildness and there were times when the foaming waters rushed inboards over the rail which she submerged to leeward The girl cried out when she spied me. I had to draw close indeed to be seen. It was as black down where I was thrown as the inside of the vessel's hold. She cried out, I say, uttering some Danish exclamation, and then exclaimed, I feared you were lost. I feared that you had been thrown overboard. I ought not to have left you alone at the wheel. Tell me if you are hurt. No, I am uninjured, I replied. But what has become of the ship? I am only just recovered from my swoon oh she cried she has taken up the very situation you wished for she has hove herself too she came broadside to the sea after you were flung from the wheel we are mercifully watched over we dare not of ourselves have brought her to the wind All my senses were now active in me once more, and I could judge for myself. It was, as the girl had said, the bark had fallen into the trough, and had taken up a position for herself, and was shouldering the heavy western surge with her bow, coming to and failing, and falling off in rhythmic sweep. Clouds of froth repeatedly broke over her forecastle, but she seemed, while I then watched her, to rise buoyant to each black curl of billow as it took her amidships. "'Will you help me to lash the helm?' cried the girl. "'It is all that the Anine will need, I am sure. "'She will be able to fight the storm alone if we can secure the wheel.' Between us we drove the helm hard a-lee, to use the sea term for which, indeed, it is impossible to find an equivalent, though I trust to be as sparing in this language as the obligation of explanation will permit, and then, by means of the ropes wound round the spokes, to so bound the wheel as to cripple all play in it. "'Will she lie up to the wind, do you think?' said I, without some square of canvas abaft here to keep her head to it. "'I have been watching her. "'I believe she will do very well,' the girl answered. "'I feared that that little head of sail we hoisted in the bay "'would blow her bows round, and, by this not happening, "'I suppose that sail is in rags. "'One would not have heard it split in such a thunder of wind as this. "'Have you seen your father?' "'Yes. "'I was talking to him when you were thrown from the wheel. "'I knew what had happened by the behavior of the vessel. "'I ran out, and I feared you were lost.' "'What does he counsel?' it is still his wish that we should go on putting plenty of sea betwixt us and the land but do you notice that the gale has gone somewhat into the north he will be glad to hear it now that we are no longer scudding our drift should put us well clear of the land's end and indeed i dare say now we are being thrust away at several miles in the hour from the coast he is very anxious to know if the anine has taken in water and wishes me to sound the well i fear i shall not be able to do this alone Why should you? cried I. You shall do nothing alone. I cannot credit that you are a girl. Such spirit, such courage, such knowledge of a calling, the very last in the wide world that women are likely to understand. Pray let me ask your name. Helga Nielsen, she answered. My father is Peter Nielsen. Captain Peter Nielsen, she repeated. And your name? Hugh Tregarthen, said I it is sad that you should be here said she brought away from your home suffering all this hardship and peril you came to save our lives god will bless you sir i pray that the good god may protect and restore you to those you love "'Spite of the roar of the wind "'and the ceaseless crashing and seething sound "'of the smiting and colliding seas, "'I could catch the falter of emotion in her voice "'as she pronounced these words. "'But then, as you will suppose, we were close together, "'standing shoulder to shoulder against the binnacle "'while we exchanged these sentences. "'There is refreshment in the cabin,' said she, "'after a pause of a moment or two. "'You need support. "'This has been a severe night of work for you, sir, "'from the hour of your putting off to us in the lifeboat.' I found myself smiling at the motherly tenderness conveyed in the tone of her voice. I longed to have a clear view of her, for it was still like talking in a pitch-dark room. The binnacle lamp needed trimming, its light was feeble, and the sky lay horribly black over the ocean that was raging, ghastly, with pallid glances of sheets of foam under it let us first sound the well if possible said i for our lives sake we ought to find out what is happening below by this time we had watched and waited long enough to satisfy ourselves that the bark would do as well as we dared hope with her helm lashed and it also happened very fortunately that her yards were in the right trim for the posture in which she lay having been pointed to the wind the fore yards on one tack the main yards on the other when the gale came on to blow in the bay and the braces had not since been touched i walked with the girl to the entrance of the deck-house the door of which faced forwards she entered the structure and while i waited outside lighted a bull's-eye lamp with which she rejoined me and together we went forward to another house built abaft of the galley this had been the place in which the crew slept. The carpenter's chest was here, and also the sounding rod. We then went to the pumps, and while I held the lamp, she dropped the rod down the sounding pipe, drew it up, and brought it to the light, and examined it, and named the depth of the water there was in the hold. I do not recollect the figure, but I remember that, though it was significant, there was nothing greatly to alarm us in it, seeing how heavily and how frequently the bark had been flooded with the seas, and how much of the water might have made its way from above. I recount this little passage in a few lines, yet it forms one of the most sharp cut of the memories of my adventure. The picture is before me as I write. I see the pair of us as we come to a dead stand, grasping each other for support while the vessel rolls madly over on the slope of some huge hurtling sea. I see the bright glare from the bull's-eye lamp in the girl's hand, dancing like a will-o'-the-wisp upon the black flood betwixt the rails, washing with the slant of the decks to our knees. I see her dropping the rod down the tube, coolly examining it, declaring its indication while to the flash of the lamplight I catch an instant glimpse of her face shining out white large-eyed as it seemed to me upon the blackness rushing in thunder athwart the deck she led the way into the deck house there was a small lantern wildly swinging at the central beam my companion had lighted it when she procured the bull's-eye lamp it diffused a good luster and I could see very plainly it was just a plain ordinary shipboard interior with three little windows of a side a short table lockers on either hand and a sleeping berth or cabin designed for the captain's use aft the companion hatch which led to the deck below was betwixt the after end of the cabin and the bulkhead of the berth but the rapid glance i threw round speedily settled as you may suppose into a look a long look full of curiosity surprise and admiration at the girl she stood before me dressed as a sailor lad in a suit of pilot cloth and a red silk handkerchief around her throat but her first act on entering was to remove her cloth cap that was streaming wet and throw it down upon the table and thus she stood with her eyes fixed on me as mine were on her each of us surveying the other her hair was cut short and was rough and plentiful without remains of any sort of fashion in the wearing of it nay indeed it was unparted it was very fair hair and as pale as amber in the lamplight her brows were of a darker color and very perfectly arched as though penciled it was impossible to guess the hue of her eyes by that light they seemed of a very dark blue such as might prove violet in the sunshine soft and liquid and of an expression even in that hour of peril of the horror of tempest of the prospect of death indeed that might make one readily suppose her of a nature both sweet and merry There was no sign of exposure to the weather upon her face. She was white with the paleness of fatigue and emotion. Her cheeks were plump, her mouth small, the underlip a little pouted, and her teeth pearl-like and very regular. Even by the light in which I now surveyed her, I never for a moment could have mistaken her for a lad. There was nothing in her garb to neutralize for an instant the suggestions of her sex. "'I will take you to my father,' said she, "'but you must first eat and drink.' I could not have told how exhausted I was until I sank down upon a locker and rested my arms upon the table. I was too wearied to ask the questions that I should have put to her at another time, and could do no more than watch her, with a sort of dull wonder at her nimbleness and the spirit and resolution of her movements as she lifted the lid of the locker and produced a case-bottle of Holland's some cold meat, and a tin of white biscuits. "'We have no bread,' she said, smiling. "'We obtained some loaves off the Isle of Wight, but the last was eaten yesterday.' She took a tumbler from the rack and mixed a draught of the Hollands with some water, which she got from a filter fixed to a stanchion, and extended the glass. "'Pray let me follow you,' said I. She shook her head. "'Yes,' I cried. "'God knows you should need some such tonic more than I.' I induced her to drink, and then took the glass and emptied it. A second dram warmed and heartened me. I was without appetite, but was willing to eat for the sake of such strength as might come from a meal. The girl made herself a sandwich of biscuit and meat, and we fell too, and so we sat facing each other, eating, staring at each other, the pair of us all the while hearkening with all our ears to the roaring noises outside, to the straining sounds within the ship, and feeling... I speak of myself, with every nerve tense as a fiddle string, the desperate slants and falls and uprisals of the deck or platform upon which our feet rested. End of chapter four. Recording by Violet Blue of Albertville.